Welcome back to the Cycling with Watts podcast. Mm, we are on episode number four, and I just want to thank you for you know letting me uh, let me tickle those eardrums for a little bit. And by tickle your eardrums, I mean we're just going to talk about cycling the whole time, but you know that tickles my fantasy. So today we got a good episode on board. We got a lot of racing news to cover from the past week weekend. We got some good tech news coming up, and of course we're going to dive into some maintenance things. So. Uh, yeah, strap on those seatbelts. Let's get ready for episode number four. All right, yeah, definitely not going to lie. That opening was a little bit weird even for me, but hey, we're on episode four. You know, I still got things to try out. I'm going to try out everything before, you know, before I give up on it. So whether or not you're... I was supposed to be booing that Boeing, but... If that's what you feel like after listening to that open, well, I am sorry, but we're about to get into some straight good stuff, about to make that, you know, make that dollar dollar. That was really lame. But yeah, let's get into pro racing news. We had a lot of stuff going on over the weekend, uh, all across the world. But here in America, we had the Colorado Classic going on, four stages happening over two stages in Vail, two stages in Denver, for both men's and women's racing it was great if you got to tune in uh, global cycling network was hosting it on their facebook page you could also check it out on velo news and cycling tips i believe i was watching it over on velo news definitely some exciting stages and just good to see a bunch of young americans who are coming up in the sport as the colorado classic has all the way from you know top world tour level teams to pro continental and so you got to see a lot of up-and-coming talent some new teams that you probably haven't heard of before definitely some sponsors i had never heard of before so it was just a great mix of of racing but the both men's and women's side was dominated by uhc united healthcare and their squad it was on the women's side katie hall taking it all the way to the top as she stood atop the podium uh, the final day, she took control after stage two on the time trial, which basically we, we knew based on the course, especially in the women's race, as they had a circuit on day one, time trial on day two, criterium day three, and another circuit race on day four, that basically whoever was going to win that time trial was probably going to end up in the leader's jersey. But Katie Hall has been dominating this year. And she has also won a couple other races this year on the American side. She's basically dominating those stage races, such as the Amgen Tour of California for the women's side, the Tour of Gia Redlands, and Joe Martin. So Katie Hall has been just dominating on the American road side. And then on the men's side, it was Gabe Mannion who took top podium and again he won the time trial on stage two the men had a little bit different they had a circuit race on stage one time trial on stage two then they went to the queen stage which had a ton of climbing on stage three is 100 miles long like 8,000 feet of climbing on stage three and then stage four was another circuit race and so Gabe Mannion did hold off the leader's jersey on stage three which was an exciting stage to watch as there was a lot of tension going into those final final miles as UHC really had to defend their lead 
against a couple other attackers like Martinez from Education First. He was in the mix there, but it was a very exciting race to watch. Came all the way down to the wire, and then the last stage four was actually won by another UHC rider. So all together, they dominated. And it's interesting to see that uh, US. UHC dominated because it was kind of a bittersweet win across the board for all of them as they are, you know, losing their sponsorship. And if they don't have a new sponsorship by August 30th, they will not be renewing their license for next year into 2019. The owner of the team has said that, you know, right now that they're looking into 2020 as being their next time to really focus on racing. And that's scary news for American pro cycling as we just got to watch four days of UHC really on top level, watch a bunch of other Americans at a world tour level race. And now two of the top teams being UHC and Jelly Belly are gone next year, two perennial American teams gone. And so right now, definitely American cycling is a little bit in the balance with the pro tour teams. I mean, we still have teams like rally out there who's doing it well, uh, both on the men's side and the women's side. Currently they have a rider or their rallies men is in the Arctic race of Norway, but still it is a uh, peril times for American cycling. So we'll be following that one closely as hopefully, hopefully a sponsor comes in by August 30th and can save that UHC team. But I'm sure some of those riders like Mannion will get picked up somewhere along or, you know we'll get picked up for another job but you you never know the, what those lower level those domestic guys you know if they're going to get picked up or if they're just out of a job so definitely uh definitely sad stuff but uh yeah we hope a sponsor comes in and so moving over to some other things across the pond over in europe not really the pond but yeah across the ocean over into europe if you ever heard the name mariana voss it, uh, it would be a very familiar name because she absolutely kicks butt. And she did so in the ladies' tour of Norway as she had a clean sweep of all three stages. Nuts! She just won all three stages of the race. Definitely, of course, stood atop the podium. But yes, hashtag boss boss, as given to you by everybody else on the social media world. I did not come up with that, but that is an awesome hashtag. And Mariana Voss is just showing her dominance with that and this win also puts her atop the world tour leaderboard for the women and she is above second place anna van der breggen of bulls domes and third to anamiek van vluten of mitchelton scott so mariana voss again showing her dominance as she has you know throughout her entire career so moving over to the Arctic Tour of Norway, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, which Team Rally is in there. But that was won by Astana Sergei Cherntheski. Yeah, that was a tough name to say. But yes, he stood atop the podium there. But uh, I would really say the biggest story coming out of the Arctic Tour of Norway was Matthew Vanderpool winning stage four. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to see the cyclocross stars moving over to the roadside and actually having you know, some success, you know, Walt Van Aert has done it as well. He's been in Paris-Roubaix. He's been in uh, Strada Bianca and some of these other classics races earlier, but he's been in some road races as well. But yes, Matthew Vanderpool on his very, very nice looking canyon. 
Oh, it's just absolutely beautiful. He's also, I believe, the Dutch national champion. And so, yes, his bike is in those same colors as well. And so I, I would say, yeah, that's probably the biggest biggest storyline coming out of there. And so now we're moving over to the Bink Bank Tour, which was won by Mateo Mohoric of Bahrain Merida. But also, Michael Matthews took third on the podium, which, if you know Michael Matthews, it is Michael Bling Matthews. That is a self-proclaimed nickname, but uh, Michael Matthews was the green jersey wearer last year, and uh, I think there was a little bit of controversy around that as basically all the sprinters were gone last year, including Sagan and Cavendish after they had their little accident going into one of the sprints, but Michael Matthews also got a stage win at the Bink Bank Tour, kind of showing that he can still win at this level, which he does have five wins this year. So, of course, Michael Matthews can still win at this level, but I know that was maybe kind of a fluke last year, so he's kind of still showing that he has what it takes to win at this level. And then, quick step floors over at the Euro Ice Classics Hamburg. Elia Viviani has just been dominating this year, and he won in a reduced sprint. Reduced bunch sprint, giving Quickstep their 55th win of the year. That is just astronomical. And, you know, like UHC dominating in the Colorado Classic. And Viviani dominating this year in Quickstep. You know, this is their 55th win. That is absolutely massive. And they might not, Quickstep might not be their sponsor next year. We've been told that by the president that they will still have a team next year, but they do not have a title sponsor. And so that is... Uh, that is very interesting. We're seeing two teams, both wearing blue, evidently enough, that uh, are losing their sponsor almost for certain now. I mean, UHC definitely more so than Quickstep, but they are uh, they're doing everything they can to get their uh, their sponsors out on TV and their sponsors are pulling the plug next year. And so to kind of finish up racing news and we'll get into a little bit of transfer news we got the volta coming up on saturday and it is an all-star studded roster we got some really big names coming out you know we don't have a ton from team sky so it is really really shaping up to be kind of anybody's uh anybody's volta and anybody's race to win so that is very exciting we're gonna and by we i mean i we're gonna do a uh preview show this friday for the volta so stay tuned for that. We'll be going through all the riders, routes, everything you need to know leading up to the Vuelta. So tune in for that. Look for it on all of your podcasts. Look for it on Twitter. But it's coming out on Friday. So moving away from racing news, we got a little bit of transfer news coming out in the past couple days. And to start with, it is 38-year-old Lars Yiddingbach of Lotto Sudal. He has signed with Dimension Data after seven seasons with Lotto. Now, if you don't know who Lars Yiddingbach is, let me tell you who he is, because I actually didn't know who he was before I did, did my research on him. But he's won a stage in the Giro, and he's been riding for Lotto Sudal, like I said, for seven years. And so he's been a pretty loyal domestique for that team. And uh, basically, in an interview, he wants to be a loyal domestique for Dimension Data going forward as his main goal is to be in support of Michael Valgren, who is leaving Astana after the season to join Dimension Data. And he also hopes to be a mentor for this team as he is 38 years old. 
He has been in cycling for 16 years, 17 years. He's coming up on his 18th year next year, which is <laughs> a long time to be in the sport. But uh, that, that's what his goal is. He wants to be a domestique, be there to help, especially Michael Walgren. But he wants to be a mentor for this entire team as they're going to have new faces coming in. And uh, just an amazing quote that I saw from him as he was telling all this stuff about his main goal for next year. Even though he's he's old and he's been in the I mean, he's been in it for 18 years now. He, he is so excited to get new glasses, new kit, new bike, new shoes. He said that in an interview, and I just think that is absolutely awesome because I always love a new piece of kit. Like, just, oh, it just gets me so excited to get out on the bike. So it's super awesome to hear a guy who could be jaded after 17, 18 years, but he's just super excited to be a helper, get some new gear, and then go kick some butt. And I mentioned Data has not been great this year as we've seen Cavendish have some rough falls I mean he's had what four or five falls throughout the year didn't make the cut early on in the tour and just uh, hasn't done much and actually Dimension Data has only five wins this season and so that's as much as Michael Bling Matthews and so yes they are definitely looking to uh, build that team back up for next year which Michael Valgren as a sprinter should help with but also adding guys like uh, Bach from Lotto Sudal is going to help that team. So moving over to another team, we've got Bora Hansgro, who has extended a two-year contract to three of their riders, to two Polish riders, Rafael Mika and Paul Polajanski, and then to Australian Jay McCarthy. Now, Bora Hansgro is definitely centered around Peter Sagan, and whatever he wants to go do, basically they do for him as he's won six green jerseys, not in a row because of last year. But he's won six green jerseys at the Tour. He's been a three-time world champion in a row. We'll see if that uh, if he repeats again this year. He probably won't as the course doesn't suit him. But that is okay because he has his national team kit, which is the Slovakian team kit. Gosh, I'm going to be mad at myself if I get that one wrong. But, uh, yeah. So they got a two-year contract. Rafael Micah, who, if you know that name at all, he has been their GC guy basically in the past, and they support their efforts around Sagan for the sprint. But Rafael Micah has been the GC guy. He took 19th in the tour this year, which wasn't great, but I know he always flirts with that at the top 10, and at least is there with uh, the top group of GC guys when they're climbing in those amazing picturesque mountains. And so kind of rounding out our transfer news we have some news from team bmc as they will be losing 24 year old swiss rider killian frankini who signed a two-year deal with groupama fdj and his role at fdj will be to support thibaut pino who is their gc contender who has been you know up and down had definitely had some tough trials especially in giro this year as he just absolutely bonked later towards the Giro, but Thibaut Pino being a Frenchman is definitely looking to place well in the tour and Killian Frankie Frankini will be there to help out Thibaut Pino in those efforts. So that is rounding out our pro news had a lot of, lot of racing. So I hope you guys are following along on Twitter somewhere trying to keep track of all of this racing. I think we go into a little bit of a dry spell now that the, uh, the Vuelta is coming up, but the Vuelta will take up almost everything. I don't know if we'll see a ton of uh, a ton of women's racing around that, but we will try to report as much women's racing as we can and I would love to see some more 
live streaming for women's racing. You know, just touch on this point quick because I think this can take up a whole podcast. When it comes to the Colorado Classic, we are able to watch, you know, majority of the race live stream, and then you get a bunch of coverage after um, on it afterwards through either videos, highlights, articles, Twitter. I mean, there are so many things to go on the men's race. It's so very little on the women's race, you know, even trying to do research on just recapping the stage for the podcast. You know, you had to dig, 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 and dig some more. But, uh, yeah, it's just sad to see that uh, I did not get to watch any bit of the women's race because I couldn't find it anywhere. Maybe I didn't dig far enough. But, yeah, there definitely needs to be a little bit more equality, I think, from both sides. And, And it's definitely trending that way. But I really hope to see more, especially when they're showing the men's race and the women are racing almost on the same course a little bit before I'd love to be able to watch more women's racing, get to know some faces a little bit better names better. Cause really that's what it all comes down to is learning stories, learning backgrounds and getting attached to a couple riders. And it's so easy to do on the men's side because they're so accessible, but I want, but I want to see more and more on that women's side. So yes, that is rounding out our pro news talk. And next, you know, we're going to get into some ever exciting new tech. Actually, this one isn't new, but I want to dive into this one because Cross is coming. Cross is coming. So with Cross coming, we're all looking for that bike that is going to perform the best in those Cross scenarios, in that mud, in that dirt, in that rain, in that wet, slimy grass at you know, seven o'clock in the morning because you're racing the the men's cat three four, and that grass is slip and slick. And you gotta jump over bushes and run up stairs. And I'm just trying to create a dramatic scenario with all these people throwing stuff at you, with all the bacon hand ups and the whiskey shots and the everything that goes into cross because it's awesome and we can't wait. But what bike are you gonna use? Well. Seeing a lot of people decide what kind of bike they want. A lot, a lot, a lot of people, unless you are a dedicated cross rider, they want that bike that can kind of do it all. It's out there in a way, but not as much as you would technically want. But this bike that we're going to be talking about today comes from Van Dessel. Is the full tilt boogie. Is a great option of a bike that you kind of want to do a little bit of everything but still perform on that cross. Now this bike is definitely made for the cross season. I'm talking about the Van Dessel Full Tilt Boogie. It's got an awesome name, but it is still going to be great out on the gravel and it is going to perform pretty well out on that asphalt and pavement. It's a good versatile bike, I would say, but it's definitely born from a cross racer it's for cross racers, so cross focus, but still has that ability to do some other things, which a lot of people are looking for when they go to get that cross bike because they don't want to blow a ton of money on a very specific bike, which I totally understand. And if you are a super dedicated cross rider, then yes, go blow that money. But if you're not like most of us, myself, I just don't have the money to dedicate to a specific cross bike. But with this full tilt boogie, what is it? What makes it? Great well is a full carbon frame with tire clearance of up to 40 millimeter tires. 40 millimeter tires. That is awesome. Comes stock with SRAM Force 1, one by system. Mm-hmm. I'd be loving that one by system, especially for things like cross, for gravel, for adventure, 
one buy. So it's the future. And it comes in at just 18.7 pounds. Now that is at this stock bike that we are talking about. Retails at 3.99. And so what are some of the features of that? Like I said, 40 millimeter tires. You can really swap out a wide range of tires. I know for cross, mainly you're going to be running 33s. But for gravel, you know, kind of get as wide as you can get. You can go for those 40Cs. You really want to get in some muddy stuff. You know, some pseudo mountain biking in a way. You can get some big tires on there, which is awesome. It's a one-by drivetrain, like I said. But if you want, it can handle two-by. So you can really make it versatile. Make it what you want. You know, especially if you live in a hillier area and you're doing a lot of gravel stuff. Might want a two-by. Just depends on what you like. And so the wheels, like I said, it was definitely born for cross and the wheels that it comes with are Mavics and they come with a Mavic speed release skewers, which is great for through axle as it makes wheel changing, you know, just makes them faster. And that's what's great about technology because through axle, I think is the way to go. It puts your wheel in, this, in the same spot every single time, but it can be clunky to get on and off when you need those fast changes in a race. Mavic has come up with a great solution here on their Mavic speed release. If you want to know more, just Google it because it is a pretty cool thing. And so what else is cool about Van Dessel and the bike in itself? Well, Van Dessel, if you go to buy a bike straight off of their website, it can be a little bit confusing at first because you have so many options, but you can really make this bike fully customizable to you in the standpoint of you basically get to spec what you want on there. I mean, even down to, you know, what size stem I want and they have loads and loads and loads of options, but you can price this bike out starting at, 3299 all the way up to 9299 from the wheels to the drivetrain system if you're going to go electronic shifting non-electronic shifting all that stuff so go check it out but what makes this bike cross bike well it's got a short wheelbase and tight angles to make it agile on that cross course when you're going around a lot of quick turns everything like that so it is going to be quick off of the line but it also has a high bottom bracket to make it easy to keep those pedals turning as you are going through those turns, you know, hopping over logs, all that stuff. So it was definitely, like I said, born for cross. Now, the bike also looks pretty amazing in this baby blue, black, white colorway. It looks sweet. So go check out the Fandessel Full Tilt Boogie because cross season is coming. Now, this isn't necessarily a new bike, but it was a bike that caught my eye. And uh, I would say that paint job caught my eye to start with, and then I just started reading into it more and more. And I've always been a little bit fascinated by the Full Tilt Boogie, but really haven't gone in-depth on it. And Van Dessel in itself is a pretty cool, cool brand. They got a bunch of cool bikes ranging from, you know, aero bikes out on the road to, you know, full touring bikes that you can run as a fixie, you know. So <laughs> they got some really customizable stuff. So definitely go check out Van Dessel Full Tilt Boogie. And so we talked about the Colorado Classic in the pro racing. And Bellow News did a super interesting story where they went behind the scene, got to check out all the bikes. And this story was centered around stub nose saddles at the Colorado Classic as they were seeing loads and loads and more riders opting to use these stub nose saddles. So what is a stub nose saddle? Well, basically, if you look at... Any triathlon bike, they have this short nose saddle. It just looks like a shorter saddle in general, a little bit beefier, a little bit stockier. But that nose is stub. I mean, just like it says, stub nose saddle. And so 
you know, EF Education's Joe Dombrowski, which wore or who wore orange as the most aggressive rider. He uses a pro logo dimension knack saddle, which again has that stubbed nose. Rally's Abby Mickey was using a Sella SMP dynamic saddle, which if you know Sella SMP, it almost has that S shape, you know, real curvy saddle, but that nose is tilted almost straight down. And then on the men's side, Rally's Evan Huffman uses the ISN, ISM Adamo TT saddle. Now I personally tried out an ISM PL 1.1 saddle. I've been using that for about six months. And although it didn't work out for me, I would say in the long run, I definitely still like that stub nose. And so what is the advantage of the stub nose? Well, it allows you to get in a little bit more aggressive of a position and not have to sacrifice pain and discomfort because with a long nose saddle, and you really don't spend time all the way out on that nose, you can get a little bit of discomfort down in the, uh, you know, the region that we don't like to talk about, especially when you're trying to get in that really aggressive arrow position for a long period of time. I would say, you know, if we're sitting out in that TT position on a road bike for more than a minute at a time, you kind of start to get that frontal area with some discomfort. And this is where that short nose saddle is able to alleviate some of that pressure because the setback on your saddle is a little bit further back than a regular one because you don't have that nose allowing you to almost the front part of your pelvic area to rotate over that front part and not have the pressure there and allowing you to get even more tucked and more aero without without discomfort and that's one of the biggest things on there so like i said velo news reported on the story they're just seeing a lot more of these stub nose saddles and people are starting to take what uh take that tt position more aggressive tt position put on the road bike and they need a saddle that conforms to that position. So we're seeing more and more of it. And if you haven't used one of these, seen one of these, definitely go check it out online. Not for everybody. Like I said, I used the ISM for about six months and I think it was more the ISM PL model that I didn't love because I didn't have some great, uh, more towards the the back of my pelvic region. I, I just had some pain there that I couldn't get over, but I did love how it allowed me to be in that more aggressive position. So definitely something to check out. And then to end with our tech news, I want to talk about Zwift because Zwift is awesome. It's a great online platform for indoor cycling because here in Minnesota, it sucks during the winter to cycle outside. So we cycle inside to get our training in. And Zwift is a great way to do that. It'll take you up, you know, has the Alp du Zwift, which is named after the amazing Alpe d'Huez climb that was seen in this year's Tour de France. You can basically ride the exact same one with all the hairpins. You can ride in London. You can ride the Richmond, Virginia, where they had the World Tour or the World Championships back in 2015. And so it's a great place to train with a bunch of training programs, a bunch of races. You can go group rides, races, ride by yourself. You can do whatever. You can do it on Swift. That sounded like an advertisement for Zwift. Well, it kind of was. But Zwift Academy is going on right now. Which, what is Zwift Academy? Well, it gives a chance for everyday cyclists to become pro cyclists. So last year was the first year that did it. Dimension Data and Canyon, for the men's side, Dimension Data, and for the women's side, Canyon Sharam team, teamed up to do this Zwift Academy. So it was open to all under 23-year-olds last year. 
and they did this entire training program where you competed in a, in a series of races, but then also did training in between the races, and they boiled it down to a couple riders who performed the best in these races. They flew these riders out, put them in a training camp, and the Dimension Data picked one rider out of, I think it was three finalists, and then Canyon Shram on the women's side picked one rider out of the three finalists, and now those two riders are both riding on the world tour level, and... Swift is doing it again, partnering up with the same teams, allowing young kids from all across the world, whether or not they're racing on a real team or not, or don't have the money or whatever, they're giving them the opportunity to to have a shot at a pro contract. You know, they don't have to be going off to these big, big races in order to get in front of pro scouts, basically. They get to do it all on Swift, so I think it's a really cool piece of tech that is allowing new talent to foster it. We may, we may see this more and more moving forward of pro teams getting people off of Zwift, which is really cool that they're getting them off of this virtual world, but they're finding them and putting them on that pro level. So once that winner is selected, we'll be reporting on that and hopefully we'll get kind of a, a year look back at the two finalists from last year. So that rounds out our tech news. Next, we're going to move into some maintenance and the ever, ever so annoying squeak that comes from your bike. We all hate it, but we can't avoid it. That squeak that comes from our bike. But yes, we can't avoid it. Actually, I really haven't come across a ton of these on my own bike, but that's okay because I've seen it on a bunch of other people's bikes. If you don't know, I work for Velvix. Mobile bike shop comes right to your house. Take care of any and all bike work, but... I get it so often, someone comes up to me with their bike, and they say, hey, there's a squeak, there's a creak, what is it? And I, I first off tell them, the toughest part about a squeak or a creak is it is tough to figure out exactly where it is coming from. It does take some trial and error to figure out where it is coming from, and especially when I'm at events and stuff like that, I don't always have the time to really dig into it and figure out where that squeak is coming from, because a lot of times it means taking off a part, putting some grease on it, going out for a ride. Doesn't make the squeak again. But then it also comes down to a list of factors of when is the squeak occurring? So if you do have a squeak, take a couple things into consideration when you are out riding. One, does it happen when you're in the saddle or out of the saddle? In the saddle or out of the saddle? Go try it out. Does it happen when you were putting down a lot of power through your pedals, both in the saddle and out of the saddle. Try out those things. Doesn't happen when you're really twisting that bike. So say you're really climbing hard, you're out of a saddle, is it when that bike is twisting? Or you're like Andre Greipel and you are just putting the power through those pedals on a sprint, is that when it is happening? So definitely bear in mind, when is that squeak occurring? Like any noise on your bike, do that as well. You know. Make sure you know what gear you're in. Is it happening in a certain gear? Is it happening in a certain chain ring? Is it happening when you turn right? Is it happening when you turn left? Try to take note of when this sound is happening. Is it always consistent or is it intermittent? So these are definitely some questions to keep in your head when you hear a funny noise, a squeak, all that stuff. We're going to go more towards squeaks and creaks because there's other noises that mean other things on a bike. So we're just going to stick to a couple you know, main culprits of this squeak. 
And so what are those main culprits? Well, handlebars. And it could be the headset bearings, or it could be the interface between face place, face plate going onto the stem and the handlebars in between there. It could be your seat post. This is probably this is definitely the first place I usually always check when people are like, it's my bottom bracket. I know it's my bottom bracket. And I go, well, we're at least gonna try the seat post, see if it's there, go out and test it. If it's not, we'll dig into the bottom bracket. Because the bottom bracket can definitely take a little bit longer time than putting some new grease on a seat post. Then you have your chain rings. There can be little tiny squeaks in there. It's probably not gonna be the chain ring, but it's definitely an easy one to pull apart, put some grease on it, put it back together. So it's at least an easy one to eliminate. You know, it's basically a process of elimination and then trial and error from there. And again, with that chain ring, it's that spindles in there that we're, that we're greasing up. And then you also have skewers, quick release skewers on both the front and back. You're probably gonna have it more in the front. This is again, it's a rare one, but when you take that skewer out, apply a light coating of grease to it, maybe coat the inside of those fork dropouts as well. You know, definitely want to build new bikes. I always make sure to put a little bit of grease on that spindle to start with, a little bit of grease on those fork dropouts, just so you're trying to eliminate stuff from the future. And actually, I usually don't put it on the, the fork dropouts. That's only if there is a creek coming from it, but I will put a little bit of grease on that spindle, just try to eliminate anything for the future. And then lastly, we have the bottom bracket. Now, if you 100% know it's the bottom bracket, then go ahead, pull it apart. Otherwise, go through some tests first to see what it is. And so, if it is the handlebars, how do we test that? Well, throw your leg over the top tube and act like you're sprinting, but don't be on your pedals or the saddle. Just push down real hard on those handlebars. See if you're getting noise coming from there. If you are getting noise coming from there, what you can do, take off that faceplate and put a light coating of grease, depending on what kind of material bike your bike is or your handlebars are. Is it carbon? Is it aluminum? Is it steel? What is it? If it is carbon, you can use some carbon compound that'll help it sit together. It's got some fine grit in there to really hold that together and hold it in one place when you tighten those bolts. Otherwise, just a nice light layer of grease if it is aluminum, and that should eliminate that squeaking. So put that grease right where that face place attaches, attaches to the stem and where the handlebar right in that area, put just a light coating of grease, and then make sure to get off any excess because you don't want any excess on your handlebars. So that's one area. Next is the seat post. The seat post usually creaks when you're out of the saddle. I guess it can happen when you're in the saddle too, but I, I've noticed it a lot when you're out of the saddle and you're twisting that bike because that seat post and the seat post tube it's just rubbing in there and especially if you have like you know aluminum on aluminum or anything like that and it is just dry as a bone in there when those two materials rub together it is just going to make that squeaking noise and so again just like the handlebar what you're going to want to do is pull that seat post out put a nice light coating of grease in there after you've cleaned off that seat post of anything old, clean inside that tube there, and then put two layers of grease, one on the seat post itself, and then one inside the tube, and I'm talking a light 
layer, put it back in, tighten that bolt to torque. And if you do have carbon to carbon, again, you can use that carbon compound to help it stick just a little bit better. And so now moving on to chain rings. And again, sorry, back up just a little bit. After you've done the handlebars, go out and ride it, test it again. And again, if it is, if it is happening at a certain time, make sure to do that again once you put that grease on there. Same with the seat post. Once you put that grease back on, go out and test it. See if it is gone. Chain ring. Chain ring is pretty easy to pull apart. Put some grease on that spindle. Put it back together. See if that fixes the problem. If it doesn't, we have now come to the bottom bracket. And the bottom bracket, we basically got two main forms of a bottom bracket. We got threaded and we have press fit bottom bracket. Threaded, threads right into the frame. Then you have press fit that has two cups and a shell, and you press that all in to the bottom bracket, or bottom of the bike. So, then we also have a third one, Wheels Manufacturing makes a threaded press fit bottom bracket, and that basically means the shells of the bottom bracket thread together. That is an upgrade if you have a press fit, which I recommend going that route, otherwise, most bottom brackets are threaded, then you have press fit on more higher end road bikes. And again, those higher end ro road bikes would take that, you know, threaded press fit bottom bracket. So what can you do there? Well, if you have carbon, basically carbon shouldn't need anything to make sure that there is no space in between that bottom bracket and the shell of the bike, but if there is squeaking, then you'll want to look at an anti-seize compound, and I'd always recommend checking with the manufacturer to see what is best, but the anti-seize compound is generally what you are going to use for carbon, for other materials such as aluminum or steel, you can use a grease or a high-performance grease of some sort to put around the inside of that shell in order to stop that creaking. And basically what you're trying to do is fill that void of space where that creaking is happening because there shouldn't be any space between the bottom bracket shell itself of the bike and that bottom bracket going in there. So in all areas, make sure you're using light layers of grease. You do not want to be using globs and globs and globs of grease. Now, I was definitely talking about a lot of different parts, so I apologize if I did get some part wrong. Please let me know in the comments, but that is generally our steps when we're trying to figure out where that squeak is coming from, that creak is coming from. Now, there's definitely other places that it can be coming from. These are the main ones that I see and that I see most often. So I hope that is valuable to you. I hope you do not have that you know, just dreaded squeak when you're when you're riding because it is very annoying and can be very annoying to everybody else around you. So that wraps up our maintenance. That wraps up episode four of the Cycling with Watts podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back on Friday for that Volta preview show. Now, if you want more Cycling with Watts, I am active on Twitter, trying to tweet out as much pro race stuff and 
bike stuff as possible. So go follow me at Cycling with Watts on Twitter. Now that is Cycling W T H Watts. I couldn't put that I in there to complete with because the handle is too long. So it's Cycling W T H Watts on Twitter. Find me on Instagram at Cycling with Watts. That one is spelled correctly. And then CyclingWithWatts.com where you can find all the blogs and you can read it instead of listening to my voice talk about it. So that is it. We will be back on Friday, so please tune into that one. Share this as much as possible. I'll be having this link out on Twitter. So if you like it, please give it a like. Maybe give it a retweet with a comment saying, I love this. And that's it. So thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Get out there riding. Pedal like hell. Adios.